Hello and welcome to this edition of the He Doesn't Waste a Thing podcast. I'm Melissa Zimmerman and I am happy that you have once again decided to come hang out with me. Um, You know, here in Oklahoma today while we're recording this podcast, it is raining and gray and overcast. And we are definitely changing seasons from fall or for summer to fall, kind of transitioning into what Oklahomans might see as winter. Um, And you know, season changes are not necessarily a bad thing, they're a good thing. And uh, what I found over my life is that I have different seasons have encountered different people. And in this season of my life, I have encountered a new friend who is required and obligated to be my really good friend forever. And, um, and I'm super happy to have her be a part of my show today. Uh, today I am joined by Carrie Bruton. Carrie is a counselor. Uh, she is a missionary, sort of. Uh, she's traveled around the world sharing the gospel and uh, ministering to people. And so uh, I just love being with her because I love picking her brain because she does. we do a little bit of the same kind of thing, only in different, we run in different veins. But she's so wise and she's so entertaining and I have I always leave my encounters with her with great joy and so I knew that you the listener needed to meet my friend Carrie Bruton welcome to the show thank you Uh, I didn't mention that your ministry is Fountainhead Ministry and uh, I was actually with her yet we were together yesterday we went to lunch and one of the things she said was I have to stop by the Western Union store because I'm sending money to one of my friends in a foreign country or a pastor friend in a foreign country tell me a little bit about what that looks like and why would who is this person why would you don't have to tell me their name but what's the principle behind sending that money and how did that start well um i'd always wanted to go to africa since i was about four years old and i finally got to the place in my life i don't know i guess i was about 50 and that i just kind of it never entered my mind anymore Uh and one day uh one of my old friends called and said you know i got an invitation to go teach uh, the prayer seminar that we teach that I had involved her in and and uh, in Africa do you want to go I remember you telling me you wanted to go to Africa and I thought well yes and then she talked about it and I said to, inside it just didn't feel right I said I just don't think this is the right thing and so a year went by and she called again and she never did go she said, I have a different invitation to a different country in Africa, and I'm asking you again. I think this one's going to happen. Do you want to go? And I said, absolutely, but I have no idea if I can physically make the trip or if I have can come up with the money. Right. And uh, it panned out. God provided the money for me, and I really, like, just all of a sudden it was there, and um, we went. We taught for about a month. We taught pastors and intercessors how to pray for their city and their country. And I was hooked. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because um, if the listeners have listened to my podcast in order, um, that means that they've just heard two episodes with with our mutual friend, Glenda Crivor, and she was also a missionary who went around the world as a single woman. You have traveled around the world as a single woman. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you became a Christ follower. How did you come into ministry? Those kinds of things. Well, we got to have the Reader's Digest version, okay. so it can't last for two hours. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, 
I grew up in church. My parents and a bunch of their friends got involved in uh, a prayer movement in the 40s. And I always was interested in prayer and thought there was a few people who had a hotline. Right. Uh-huh. I didn't know everybody could hear from God. And then when I was about... Mm, had a lot of things happen when I was like 12, 13, 14. My brother was in Vietnam and some of our, our my parents' friends were killed there and my grandfather died and just a lot of stuff happened during those years. And so by the time I was 14, I really just wanted to check out. Right. And I was at church camp, which my parents and their friends helped to organize the very first time in Florida uh -huh. for our denomination. I was at church camp, and I just remember getting up in the middle of the night one night and going out to this little pavilion um, and just sitting down and saying, God, if you're real, you got to show me, because I'm done otherwise. And um, I went back to the cabin and went back to sleep. The next night during the communion service at the end of camp, I had an awesome visitation from Jesus. And it changed everything. And and you were 14 when that happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so you grew up a regular teenager, but your parents were very involved in church. So you were, um, you're like my kids a little bit. You were kind of voluntold and, and were part of churches too, right? Yeah. And uh, I know that your mom taught... Um, uh, oh gosh, what is the word I'm looking for? She taught the summary of the Bible, survey of the yeah, Bible, she right? Taught all kinds of things. She was an excellent teacher, and um, she was actually in charge of all the Christian education and and uh, a lot of times the music and all kinds of stuff. At church. <laughs> she was a multi-talented she, lady. She was a multifaceted woman, and my dad was an elder. He was a really pretty quiet fellow, and uh, and so. Really, the way uh, our churches functioned was they were really there to train people. We did not hire a pastor to be the youth minister, that kind of stuff. They trained the pastor and his wife and my mom and dad and some other people. They trained people to do the work of the ministry. Isn't that what the, isn't that what the fivefold ministry people are supposed to do? Yes. Yes, we're, we're and, here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so that was a natural thing to me. And over the, the decades that I've grown older, I very rarely see it. And um, Women's Aglow Fellowship, I saw it, and they did it, and they did it well. Mm -hmm. And most churches weren't. Right, and so I learned a lot about the the move of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, and things in the eighties and nineties when I was involved in Women's Globe Fellowship, and um, that's what they did. Right, my heart really cries out for that discipleship of people because I don't see it now like I used to see it. Uh, the attractional model of churches has changed that dynamic radically. Yes, it has. And uh, we, we have a lot of Christians who are a mile wide and inch deep. And, and uh, my, you know, I just think, in, how do we, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but how do we inspire people um, to go deeper in their understanding, in their knowledge, in their encounters with God, 
for themselves on a regular basis? And how do we inspire leaders to say, you know what, uh, getting them saved is great. Like, let's keep them out of hell, yes. But how do we, uh, there's so much more to God. There's so much more to the life of a Christ follower than that. And how, so tell me a little bit about principles of discipleship or something. Let's just kind of talk a little bit about that. Well, I look around and I think uh, I'm constantly, even at this age, I'm constantly kind of, shocked or surprised that church leaders don't know how to do this right and um because it's so normal mm-hmm. in my my upbringing in my mind it's so normal that you train people what they're gifted in to do what they're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and um so i think on that issue uh people just i mean the way the church looks now the face of the average church in america it almost is going to have to come from the people themselves to say, God, what is it? What is it? What is it you want me to be doing? How do you want me to be spending my life? And what about these people at my job? I don't know what to say to them or how to, you know, I don't mm-hmm. need to read in the four spiritual laws, but I might. Right. right. Um, and so I think there's a, a huge thing of are people really hungry for it? And I think they, that a lot of them are but they have no clue how to develop a relationship with God. Right. And so basic things that whether you, I think whether you're teaching a friend or these days mentoring is a big word, you're mentoring somebody or you're on the end that's looking around going, I don't know how to have a relationship with God. I remember when I was a teenager, um, I did every, every, Thing there was out there, their their method of morning devotion. Right. And I just felt like a failure at all of it. Mm-hmm. No matter what, what group it came from, I just felt like I can't do this. And then one day, <laughs> my piano teacher, I was still taking piano lessons, and my piano teacher was a worship leader, and she was a really prophet. And I was saying something, I don't even know what it was, and she said, she just turned around and said, Carrie, stop trying to pray and do a quiet time like everybody else does. You just have to find your way. That's really powerful. And I went, oh, oh. And I just started honestly saying, God, if you really talk to us, I want to talk to you. I want to hear you. And um, I think it starts there with people understanding that they can really have an intimate fellowship with Jesus that's not just I read the book and try to be good. Right, right. So let me, okay, I'm going to ask you a question, uh, put you on the spot a little bit. But uh, if I if I were a new believer and I ask you, uh, what does the voice of God sound like? Mm. What would you say? I would say it might sound different to different people because we're all wired a little different, right. not only in the brain, but in the spirit. Uh-huh. And some people see things. They see maybe they have dreams that are prophetic. In other words, God gives them a dream to explain something. Um, they might to see a picture in their head, in their imagination. Um, they might actually hear words, but not an out loud voice. Right. 
like if you think, I mean, if, if you get still and quiet, I, I think most people can do this, not everybody, but most people can. If you, I just say to you, you know, hear your mom calling you when you were a kid, you kind of have a sense of what that is. Right. right. And sometimes it's the voice of God to us is like that. It's just a, in our head, it's words, but it's not an out loud voice. Mm-hmm. And the, the little bit trickier part is to learn, is it God or is it just me or is it something demonic? Right. And that part, it, I think, takes a leap of faith to trust that the Holy Spirit wants you to know the difference. Right. Wants to train you to know the difference. And when I used to teach on prayer, one of the things I would say is, um, if I call Melissa and we talk every other day for six months, when I call her home, I might get her daughter, who sounds like her, but it won't take me just a second to know oh, this isn't Melissa, something's not quite the same. Right. And so, um, in fact, yesterday, I mean, just the example, I had a sorority sister call me yesterday who, I, I, she was my pledge trainer when I was in a sorority. And over the years, we've kept in touch because she's a missionary. She and her husband have been on most of their life overseas on the mission field. And and she's been praying for me about something that's current for me. And she called yesterday. And she said, hi, this is Lynn. And I said, and I don't, I probably have only talked to her three or four times in 15 years. Uh-huh. I said, oh, I know that voice. Yeah. I knew it was you. And so I think we, we have to be willing to make mistakes. For sure. And trust that the Holy Spirit will use our mistakes or he will correct them before we make a really big one. Right. I remember when I first uh, heard, I grew up in a denomination that for some reason, maybe they maybe they believe this, but I never heard them teach this, that God actually spoke to us. The Bible says that we're the sheep of his pasture, we hear his voice, right? Yes. And, and I, But I was in my 20s before I started hearing somebody say, oh, I heard the Lord said to me, I heard the Lord say, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? Like that was such a foreign concept to me that God would actually speak and we could hear it. And so I, you know, I said what 97% of people who are new to that concept say, well, I guess he just doesn't talk to me the way he talks to you, which is on some levels true because he speaks to us all individually. But I, but I remember you said something a while ago, which I thought was really profound. You said it's a leap of faith to believe he talks to you. Well, I decided that I was going to just do that. I was taking a leap of faith, and my here's here's what I said. Okay, God, if it's good, if it lines up with biblical principles, I'm going to assume it's you talking to me, and I'm giving you credit for it. And uh, I may give you credit for some things you don't say, but I'm going to, by faith, begin to believe that I hear your voice. And that's been oh, that's been 25 years now, and I'm confident when the Lord speaks to me, I know who I know Him enough now to know when he's talking to me. Um, and so I think it, it does take that leap of faith of saying, you know what, I'm just going to believe it's true. I'm just going to act on it. And I'm just going to say, if, if it's good and if it lines up with biblical principles, I'm going to quit taking credit for it. And I'm going to give that credit and glory to the Lord. So I think that's a really good thing. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you were a counselor. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that part of your life. I left being associate pastor in a 
pretty big church to go into counseling because I, well, I, you know, look back and I said, God led me to this place in Texas to train me. Uh-huh. And I saw people getting really free. And I said, why is this not happening in church? And I have different answers for that now, but at the time it was enough to compel me to, to dig deeper. And, and so I eventually quit my job at the church and I went to Texas to be trained in this counseling center. Um, it was, had a lot of advantages for me as a person, the, the particular way I was trained, because if you want to change, I will do everything in my power to help you. Mm-hmm. But if you're not serious, you can pay me enough to listen to you. <laughs> and this was fast and deep and serious counseling. And so it fit me. A little bit like roadside surgery compared to going to a psychiatrist who's trained to take things slow and in, in right. increments. Right. Um, but for a lot of people, it functioned and worked very well. And, um, and so um, I learned a lot and God challenged me because unlike most people, I'm sorry, all you counselors out there, unlike most people who are professional counselors of some sort, we were required to be in therapy. Ah. And if we got kind of stuck, you know, if the same issue came up, maybe three weeks out of eight, our director sent us off for therapy. He didn't talk to us about how to help the client. Right. His theory, and I believe it's true, is if you haven't changed something, you're not gonna let your client change. Wow. Because you're not gonna address it. That's powerful. That's powerful. And so I've had more therapy than the average bear. (laughs) And um, while it was some of it actually excruciating because the time that was the most life-changing for me, I had to do in front of the entire staff. Wow. Because I went off to two or three counselors, actually, that they had trained, and I outsmarted them. Like, I really wanted to change, but there's a trust factor and a, I call it a, a potency, a power factor that I have to trust as a client I ha- or, or just an individual. I have to trust that you, this is a strange way to say it, but if I put you and one of my parents or the p- issue I'm dealing with in a room, I have to know that you would come out on top. Wow. That's a really interesting concept. And so... I had gone to these other therapists, and I went to the the director, and he said, uh, well, how did it go? And I said, I outsmarted him. He said, I was afraid of that. He said, so here's what we're going to do. You know, we don't like to do anybody's therapy who works here, but if you'll be willing to do it in front of the entire staff. As a training method, right? As a training method, (laughs) we will do it. Oh, wow. So that's what happened. That's crazy. It was, listen, and it made me not afraid after the fact. Uh It made me unafraid for people to know things about me. Yeah. Because if I was willing to face all that in front of my peers, my professional peers, then I didn't really care anymore. I wanted to be well better than I wanted my reputation. Right. 
And I think that that's a really, I think that's a really powerful point. I think people in, especially in counseling circles, uh, you know, in, in those interactions that we have with clients and stuff like that, you and I both do uh, some forms of counseling, mm-hmm. um, maybe not the exact same kind of form, but basically uh, biblical counseling, personal counseling, that kind of thing. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about yesterday when, when we were together, we talked about the idea that change only happens when people are ready to change. That's correct. And sometimes change only happens, my son's, one of my son's favorite quotes is, change only happens when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. That's like, right. Like, when it gets so bad I can't stay here, I will change. Yeah. And and you know what? Everybody gets to that place at a different some people never get to that place. Well, but, but a lot, lot of people get to it at different stages and in part. Right. There's a part of their life they see is really out of whack and they become painfully aware right. that they need to change that. And so they change. Right. And, and most of us, we go it that way. We're in part where God is changing us. But I do think that you nobody changes until they're willing to there's an old joke about people that don't want to change. It's like like being the frog in the in the rut in the dirt road, mm-hmm. and the frog doesn't seem to be able to get out of the rut. When the, he hears the wagon coming, he jumps out of the rut. Right. When danger is prevalent, we will do things we would I mean, not do otherwise. That's right. And and I think it's important. But I, if you had uh, maybe we have somebody listening on the podcast today who's in a place where they're like, I don't know if I can stay here. Um, This area in my life is super uncomfortable. Uh, Let's talk just for a few minutes about how would you find a counselor? Mm. Uh, What 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 were some characteristics that you think they should look for if they're looking for a counselor? We've we've been around those circles a long time. Yeah. Share some wisdom. I think I would look around. First, you have to start asking people mm-hmm. that you trust to not blab that you're looking for a counselor. Right. If you care. Some right. people are at the point of pain. They don't care. Who knows? Right. But most people don't want that blabbed around town. Um, maybe your pastors know people. Maybe there's some other people, professional people in your congregation at church or your workplace who you could ask. You know, do you know... Uh, somebody that's a decent counselor Mm -hmm. and um the other way is you interview them right that's a really powerful point see i I interview on the phone before i ever even agreed to see somebody Mm -hmm. and so um but i also think as a client you have a right to interview me right and say, well, I'm not real sure I want to do this, or why should I come to you, or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. And and um, one thing that we always had going for us when, when I was younger and did full-time counseling was that um, it was short-term and very intense. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a week-to-week kind of thing. And so the people that called us were knew that. Right. It wasn't like they just called us out of the phone book. Right. They had, and here's the thing that you might do if you're looking for somebody to help you. Look around and see who you see that you think is pretty healthy mm-hmm. spiritually and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And see who they know. Right. 
and um, and then interview them. But if you find over time, you might need somebody emergency right now, mm-hmm. and then you just say, "God, who help? <laughs> yeah, help God." Yeah, absolutely. But, let's don't let's don't uh, underestimate the value of God ordering your steps that you encounter someone for sure. Yes, absolutely, and. When you, if you, if you're in a circle of people where you find out that somebody you think is pretty healthy and it's, it, whether they've gone to a, a pastor or whether they've gone to a professional counselor, if you find that their life has really changed because of seeing that person, then that's a person yeah. you pretty much can say, okay, this is a good place to start, even if we're not a match. They're the kind of person that can help me, so maybe they know somebody else who can. Sure. Who needs counseling? Anybody that's stuck. Yeah. I think, I would thought, my my usual answer to that is everybody. Well, everybody <laughs> needs to change. Yeah. But sometimes if people are ready uh-huh. and willing to change, they don't really need a counselor. They just need somebody that says the right thing or the Holy Spirit to do something with a scripture verse and it opens a whole new world for them. Sure. But it does require changing requires my willingness to see my sin. Right. I mean, if you want to just put it in Christian terms, I don't change till I'm willing to openly admit my sin. That is powerful. And it's me, not the other person I'm married to or not my kids. It's me. That is powerful. That is so powerful. And we just don't like those words anymore in the church. We don't even use them in most churches. No. And if I can't and won't humble myself before God and admit to someone that my issue is actually my choice to sin against you, then... I'm probably not going to change. And that is a powerful note we have to end our conversation on. Uh, Wow. Wow, that is a truth bomb right there that all of you guys can just take the opportunity to chew on for a little while. So uh, thanks, Carrie, for joining me. I always like to wrap up my podcast with my little fun rapid-fire questions, Uh right? And um, give a favorite fruit. Favorite fruit? Oranges. What's your favorite food? Chocolate. Yes! Dark or light? Dark. Oh, okay. Um, let me, do you have a favorite book? The best book you've ever read besides the Bible? The Chronicles of Narnia. All of them? Yes. <laughs> uh, do you have a movie that you watch over and over that you probably know some of the dialogue to? Secondhand Lions. Wow, you're the first person that's ever mentioned that movie. That's awesome. It's about old people getting a second chance to make a difference in people's lives. That's awesome. And you have to have lived in Texas or Oklahoma to understand the movie. (laughs) And you have done both. I have. You have done both. Um, Do you have a life verse? John 15. The whole whole chapter? The whole chapter. (laughs) She has a life chapter. That's really awesome. Uh, So if you could say one thing to make Jesus famous, what would you say? Oh, gosh. He loves you more than you can ever, ever, ever imagine. That is powerful. That is a powerful 
truth. That is a super powerful truth. Well, thank you, Carrie Bruton, for joining me on my podcast today. Uh, what a pleasure to have her. Uh, a have have you? I call you friend. I call you family. Um, I call you sister. And what a privilege for me that God has brought you into my life. And so, thank you, the listener, for joining us today on the He Doesn't Waste a Thing podcast. I know that you have been blessed by uh, encountering Carrie today, and um, and I just. I'm so happy to be able to share her with you. This is the time of the show when I ask you for my three favors. Uh, They're the same ones all three times, every episode. But the first one is uh, if you're a new listener or perhaps you haven't done this yet, would you just tap that subscribe button on your podcast so that all of the episodes are in your feed every week when they come out. Second of all, would you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating that helps our podcast bubble up to the top so people can find it. And finally, would you be so gracious as to share these podcasts with your friends? The world needs to encounter people like Carrie Bruton, and you can help them do that. You'll be a blessing to people who get to hear her story and hear her wisdom, and uh, that for all of our podcasts. And so thank you for that. I appreciate the fact that you have willingly helped me out and done favors for me. So thank you so much. And remember, until we meet again, he doesn't waste a thing.